Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me, as always, is... Catherine! And this week, dear listeners, we are here to talk about one of the... I want to say one of the greatest flops or failures of movie history, and that is David Fincher's 1992 Alien 3, a film that we've had on the slate to talk about for quite a while, but finally decided to tackle this week. So, Alien 3. Initial thoughts, Catherine, before we, we delve in, because we're going to get in pretty quick here. This is Alien 3. Everybody's Everybody's seen this, right? I have unreasonable affection for this movie. Just, I just love it. I love it so much. I, I don't know. Maybe it's because it was the first Alien movie I saw in the theater. It was. Um, I remember it well. And it, it did genuinely scare me because I, like, I just find I find the xenomorph scary. I probably always will. Uh, mm. I think it's a really terrifying design, even though it, it's almost ubiquitous now. Like it just the aliens are everywhere. But I love it. And everyone hated this movie and it made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was um, the the follow up to James Cameron's smash success. Aliens, uh, which took the franchise in a very new direction, right? From a sort of moody, atmospheric horror franchise into an action horror franchise, which, you know, obviously resonated with people. Um, but Alien 3, in, in some ways, is a bit of a return to form. Um, it goes back to the sort of spooky place in space where an alien is trying to kill you, um, but puts its own spin on it. So, um, I too have some affection for this. The the night that we saw it, uh, I remember very well. I for many years, and this I guess is fairly sad. I considered that night to be one of the best nights of my life <laughs> because it was our first and only double feature as a family when we were kids. Yeah. Um. Because I don't know if you remember the movie we saw before we saw Alien Three. Do you? it was patriot games oh god it was we had we had driven uh, a pretty decent distance from our home um and we saw patriot games and then after patriot games it was it was we'd seen a fairly early show it was like a six o'clock show of patriot games and somehow my 12 year old self convinced our parents that we should also now go across town to the other theater and see Alien 3. Yeah. Um, and I was on board theater. for that because I did not were, care about yeah. Patriot Games. And I think no, I fell asleep no. during the movie. I'm sure um, you did. You were very awake for Alien 3. So I oh, always yeah. you got a good nap in um, during the Tom Clancy stuff. <laughs> so it was a double feature. And I still love a good double feature. We've done it several times with my kids. We go in the early afternoon. We see a couple of movies in a row. It's a blast. I love it. I could spend all day at the movie theater. It'd be Totally fine with that. Um, but that was the night we saw Alien 3, and uh, we were the only person, we're the only people in the theater seeing Alien 3. Uh, this was several weeks after release, and whatever buzz it had had was bad, and it was empty. Um, but we uh, we saw that. It was a late show, started around 9, so it was, it was very late. And I remember, too, being enamored with it. Uh, I remember our father hating it, which doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I enjoyed it for what it was at the time. And even then, I knew that something was amiss. 
not yeah. wrong necessarily, but something was off, right? Alien 3 was just so vastly different from the other alien things that we had seen. And I had watched Alien in the, in the original Aliens many times over at this point. Same. Even though I was so, very small. <laughs> yeah, too small probably. Of course, yeah. I, I remember watching the original Alien when I was like six or seven, which was I, definitely too young. For me, I, I felt like it was different, but at the same time, it, it felt a lot more like Alien than it did like Aliens. Mm-hmm. Like it was taking a step in the other direction and it was right. much it, scarier than I expected. Yes. I think this one has a high degree of scares. The original alien is not tremendously scary. I mean, it is scary, it has big especially moments. for the time. And but then it's, it has a it's lot, a lot of, of, of people nothing. talking. Right. It's a lot of people talking, walking through hallways, Tense emotions, etc. <laughs> Which which is good. I mean, yeah, it's you need great. That. It's I mean, great, it's... and I love it more as an adult than I did as a child. But I I don't know why I loved Alien Three so much. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and then Aliens, of course, was this very different beast that was navigating, you know, a very different kind of film. A, a James, I mean, basically James Cameron establishing what a James Cameron movie would be. Yeah. Um. It, but the thing about this one that I think was most surprising, and and we're just gonna jump right in here there's there's not much reason to, to to beat around the bush this is a classic film most people have seen it because it's still at this point it's not as poorly regarded as it was at the time uh, the fandom if you want to call it that of alien rejected well, alien it 3 got pretty so much worse you know we just we thought alien 3 was the worst and then it <laughs> yeah, we got, thought that was the nadir it got a no. lot worse like just so much worse yes um because now we have prometheus which you know, it, Prometheus is is a gorgeous movie. That's the reason to watch. Oh yeah, it. Uh, but it has lots. Of it's problems. real bad. Alien Covenant falls in the is worse, <laughs> even worse. Um, <laughs> but so Alien Three uh, came out, and you know, the main thing that it does because we we find the crew of the the Sulaco the survivors, Ripley, Hicks, Newt. And and then a, a severely damaged bishop. Oh, your favorite people from aliens <laughs> are dead. Yep. <laughs> right? Um. So I will say that I I I watched the theatrical version of Alien Three last night, which I had not watched in a long time. If I watch Alien Three, generally I'm watching one of the special edition cuts, yeah, like the work um, print. Right. They the Alien Quadrilogy set that came out in the early 2000s. Um had an, an assembly cut that was not approved by Fincher necessarily. He gave them the blessing to do it. Uh, the assembly cut is in essence his version of the film based on his director notes to the editor. Um, so it's kind of a director's cut without actually consulting the director, which is, seems like something that Fox would do. And and it's specifically um, because he doesn't want to be consulted about Alien 3. It, it, no. beho- it would not behoove you to even bring it up in conversation with David Fincher. Because and, he has and from nothing, what I understand, if nothing but bad yeah, feelings, <laughs> interviewers who attempt to talk about Alien Three are immediately shut down, uh, because he has no desire to talk about it. This was an extremely difficult film for David Fincher. This was his first film, and it was the film that basically he was considering walking away from the film industry yeah. after the experience, um, because this is a film um, that involves. Studios or, or is evidence of <laughs> tremendous studio management and mismanagement, and and a, so a bunch of people at the top of the studio 
don't really understand movies or why people enjoy watching them. Like, I don't think either of the, they're both Walter, right? Uh, it's David Geiler and Walter. That's right, Hill David Geiler and Walter. The Hill. Two, they're the two guys kind of in charge, or who were in charge. Of I don't think movies. either and one of them so- understand why people like Alien. Well, from what I understand, their big thing was that they wanted every Alien movie to be different. That they didn't want to tread the same ground, right? So these these are like the John Peters of the Alien <laughs> franchise, where it's like. I've got these visions in my mind for what Alien should be. I don't want to see him in that be. suit, and I don't want to see him flying. Exactly. <laughs> I want to, exactly. Like, I don't want to see Ripley fight that alien. I don't want to see spaceships. Like, it's that kind of stuff where it's just movie producer stuff. Because for movie producers, they think that audiences, or at least at this time, this is what I'm going to say, that audiences would only go see a film if it contained things that weren't in the previous films, except for very key pieces. Yeah. And so... It, now, also from what I understand, Guyler and Hill hated James Cameron. Like they loved a lot him of because people he didn't hate listen Cameron to them. Yeah, because he. I mean, I love I love James Cameron, but he is not easy to work with by any no. stretch. And apparently, he was difficult. And Galen Hurd, as his producer, was you know on his side 100 percent of the time. They just ignored what the studio wanted. She's a beast. In many cases, yeah, she is a beast of a producer. You do not want to get on Galen Hurd's bad side. And apparently that's exactly what happened. And so like they didn't want a repeat of that. They wanted a director who would do what they said. And so they hired David Fincher thinking that's what they would get and he was the opposite. Yeah, he's a and lot them tooth and nail. Like James Cameron just personality wise. Yes, he is also a giant asshole. By all accounts. Oh, and God, I love um, him. I love you, David Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> so the basic story of Alien 3 is that the crew of the Sulaco, there is an incident on board the ship, which is told through the credit sequence, which I hate. I hate the credit sequence of Alien 3's theatrical cut. Well, that's a stupid um, way to tell a story. Because it's just the a audience dumb way to is not paying attention. I never pay attention to anything happening in credit sequences, and it pisses me off when movies do this. Cause like that's the it, time it, when it, I'm going pee pee and I'm getting my popcorn <laughs> and my drink, my big sodi, and I don't want to have to learn things. That's just irresponsible. It's bad that it also makes me angry that the font is bad. <sighs> it's just not a font that looks good. It's it's like this weird sort of serif font. It looks like I don't know. It just it looks bad. It's a bad font. It's a stupid idea. The title of the movie is Alien Cubed, but there's only one alien in it. I just there's things about it from a conceptual level that are just wrong. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that the studio sold a release date, not a movie. Yeah. They put out a poster that said the movie will be out you know, May of 1992 or whatever. And at that point, they didn't have a script. Yeah. They didn't have a director. They didn't have sets. And it was like a year and a half away. So it was a nightmare from beginning to end. And the crew of the Sulaco, um, they they die. Ripley is the only survivor from the incident on the ship that causes the escape pod to be jettisoned. She lands on a prison planet uh, called Fiorina 161 or Fury 161, where it's just populated by like 25 dudes who have been left behind for some reason on this station. They're like super bad there. inmates. They're they're the worst prisoners right, super ever. Prisoners, yeah. um, and they've been left behind on this mining colony to just like survive. Yeah and die basically um so a couple of things in the in the development of this film that 
you know, they started it, immediately after Aliens was a success. They knew they wanted to make another one. They didn't want to make one like, you know, Aliens. They didn't want Cameron to come back. They were actually interested in Ridley Scott coming back to direct the third one. And he was, of course, not interested um, and mostly just too busy. But so they had people start writing scripts. And this has been well documented, you know, the sort of horrendous story development process of Alien 3. They first bring in William Gibson, who was hot, hot, hot at the time. He writes a script that actually becomes a sort of weird basis. Some of the elements for that were reused for the Alien Isolation video game, uh, a little bit of it at least. And like, I don't um, want to, I don't want to say that I liked that script because I, I actually kind of don't. Like, I don't know if that would have made a good great. movie in the '90s. I think it would have actually been bad. It would be yeah, a so great it, movie it was... now. Well, and apparently they're doing a novelization of it, and they did do an audio version of it that came out on Audible two years ago, maybe three years ago. And you can actually go through the whole thing, and it's voiced. And but in the 90s, that, that detective-y fine. kind of thing, I just don't think that would have worked. It was it, There was some military action um, in it. Hicks was the main character. Weaver was in a coma from uh, the experience. And it, there was some other you know key moments. But Fox management objected to Sigourney Weaver being sidelined. Um, they felt she was the face of the franchise, and, and they're well, right. Yeah, I but, also object. She to was that. also kind of yeah. She was kind of disinterested in the sequel, which I think is why they directed him to sort of sideline her a bit. Whereas Michael Biehn was much more game. Um, <laughs> yeah, he didn't have anything going on. <laughs> yeah, what does he got going on? Um, but so, and then we kind of enter a development hell period, right? So the the he submits the the Gibson submits the the script. They like some of the ideas, not huge into it, so they hire another guy to to do a pass on it. Which one was the wooden monk planet guy? That's that's Vincent Ward, which was actually super late in the process. The that one is my favorite of, weird script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the script that actually ended up being the basic foundation for Alien Three came from David Toohey, uh, who would go on to direct the Riddick franchise, Pitch Black, mm. um, The Arrival, a bunch mm. of other stuff. He's he's an okay early two thousand. Yeah. Guy. Um, but he was working on it at the time that actually, to reference an earlier episode, Rennie Harlan was attached. <laughs> um. Oh God! And, can you and, imagine? No, no, oh. I, I'm. Mm -mm. He he left Alien Three to go make the Adventures of Ford Fairlane. That's that was the transition. Oh. And so, Tui um comes in and he comes up with the Prison Planet idea, the isolated dudes, because there was this like, because everything before then it was all about because I mean this is all the late 1980s, so it's all about like weird communism analogs. That's kind of the direction Gibson had gone was making it that there was this like United People's Party or something that was fighting against Weyland-Yutani as this big corporation. And they get a hold of the alien and they start developing bioweapons and stuff. And then everything. Which those ideas like did come back in Alien Resurrection a bit. They do. And and again, that's kind and of the idea. Like That movie was dog shit. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we may have to devote another episode to Alien <laughs> Resurrection because it's, it's a true, this is a watchable mess. Like, it's a mess, but it is still engaging. The performances are good. The action is fine. Um, it's it's good. It's a good-looking movie. It's a good-feeling film for the most part. 
if you're willing to accept the sort of fundamental changes to the alien character list and, and mythos. But Alien Resurrection is a complete divergence for the franchise. Like it makes no sense where it goes and how it's portrayed. And the only um, the and as only a result good is, things is a nightmare. Are the supporting cast in Alien Resurrection, yes. where I just mm-hmm. feel like yeah, those people were slowly losing their minds trying mm-hmm. to make that movie. And that's the only reason that that I would watch it. Is Michael Wincott is wonderful and Ron Perlman and Brad Dorey. Winona writer. Winona writer. Um and isn't Leland Orser in it? Yeah, yeah, because that that briefly he's got uh, he's the alien guy, nervous he guy. <laughs> he's a nervous guy. He's got an alien in it. But but this is I feel like Alien Three is a stronger movie. But I think people hate Alien oh, yeah. Three more than they do Resurrection sometimes. At they, least that's what do. I encounter. Um, and I don't get Alien people. Three again. Okay, so so they land on this prison planet. And they have to survive against an alien that had somehow gotten onto the Sulaco ship, which is the biggest. So this is the biggest problem with Alien 3. Aliens has a very happy ending. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a movie that ends very, very well. The queen is you know, blown out into space. It's the ending of Alien 1 again, but just with greater stakes, bigger and, and stuff. And more happens. hopeful because. And hopeful. Instead exactly. of it finishing with Ripley alone and stranded and oh my God, that was horrible. It ends with. You have a family now. A family, right. Because James Cameron understands, and we've talked about this before, that the primary emotional beats that most movie audiences want need to be simple. Yeah. If you want them to have mainstream appeal, right? This is why people malign Avatar all the time, because it's a really simple emotional story. But guy meets girl, fall in love. Get together and like you know, you one of them, right? I have a dances with. I have a fair amount of hatred for for Avatar just just because. But Titanic is an even better example because Mm -hmm. that's a really simple story, and everybody loves Titanic. (laughs) It's the most distilled version of the love story that James Cameron had been attempting Mm -hmm. to tell since fucking. And Titanic is an amazing movie. I don't care what anybody says. I'll watch Titanic. There's a reason why it's at the top because it's it's an incredible film. From top to bottom. Um, so so Cameron understands that those beats, so he ends on a very understandable and satisfying beat. We're a family now, right? Found family. Yeah. Super simple, super easy. Alien 3 opens by blowing that apart yeah. through means that we had absolutely no understanding of or reason to understand from the end. So the alien queen somehow brought an egg onto the ship with her, even though we see her emerge from the lander and, and like, like, so it was just up there. Apparently. So that egg for no reason, cause they're all in stasis hatches and then attempts to impregnate them while they're inside of a glass pod. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are a lot of things happening at the beginning of alien three that we have no precedence for in the series because we've always been shown that the alien facehuggers are reactive, not proactive. Right. Yeah. They sit there, They wait for something to wake them up and then they attack the thing that wakes them up. Well, if there's nothing there to wake them up, why would it just go crawling around looking for something? Right. Um, That again, maybe you could argue that we see a bit of that behavior when Burke knocks over the, the the stuff to try and kill Ripley and Newt inside the the med bay that maybe yes. Okay. They're aggressive and they'll go try and find a host. Sure. But not from like egg to, because we just like see an egg open like it just 
popped open. So I don't know. There, there are some things there that are weird. And then the film just off screen and promptly murders characters that we had built very strong relationships mm-hmm. to in the first one uh, or in the, the second film. And I remember being that really is, upset by those tough. things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. But like, at the I loved same it. time, I, I liked that the movie was indeed doing something new where it felt like, wow, mm-hmm. I have no idea where this is headed. Right. And, and that seems to have been what Geiler and Hill were looking for. They wanted to sort of not fresh start, but they wanted to sort of move past. They didn't, they didn't want the movie to feel like a direct sequel to aliens in the, in that all of these characters are now on a new adventure together. And I get that. I I do. And in the nineties, you know, the way that film audiences did have expectations, I could see them thinking that would be a good idea. So, so Tui does his script. He introduces the prison elements. Then, um, I want to say Walter Hill, he was in London and he saw a movie that uh, Vincent Ward had made called The Navigator, um, which I've only seen snippets of. I can't, I don't think I've been able to find a copy of it. I looked one of the last times I was going through alien stuff and being like, I wonder what that was, but he saw it. He was impressed by it. He brings Vincent Ward in and Ward is the one who introduces the idea of, of a wooden planet, right? Somehow like a planet, planet that's made out of wood it has this this sort of church-like construction to it you can like go slightly outside and there's like an atmosphere but then if you stand up you like go to space it's it's all wrong the science is wrong there is no science it's just like this it's weird fantasy sort of it was artsy. a fantasy a, idea it was a fantasy idea because that's what he was he was a fantasy right and it, it was something that it's so weird i never want to see it in an alien movie but i do kind of want to see it <laughs> Like, I just want to see that happen in a movie, yeah, but not an there alien production movie. art. You know, you can go out and see some yeah. of the additional production designs, but they knew that it was going to be expensive. They were sort of, and again, a lot of this, in my opinion, is David Geiler and Walter Hill. They're just mm-hmm. not good dudes. Right? Uh, they're not good producers and they aren't good people by all accounts. Um, there have been a tremendous number of, behind the scenes interviews with these guys. And they, they basically take credit for the original alien. They said Dan O'Bannon and, and Ron Shusette turned in a script that was a mess, that it was terrible. The only good scene in it was the chestburster scene. And it wasn't even a chestburster scene. Like they have all of these things where they basically say alien is ours, right? We figured it out. We cracked the code. We're the ones that took all these dumb ideas that these guys had. and We made them good ideas. And I don't think that's true, like at all. But but again, that's Hollywood, where you've got people who are way up in the chain taking credit for stuff that they had no part of. But their steerage of the Alien franchise, once they were able to gain full control, because after the success of Aliens, they took credit for that too. They said that was all them, nothing to do with James Cameron. It was all them. And then they basically, with Alien 3, took full control from top to bottom of production and and basically wanted to George Lucas it. They just wanted a puppet that would execute for them, right? Like, we don't actually know how to make a movie. Yeah. So we just need somebody to do that part, but we've got everything else. And so this, this long script production, they were actually developing the David Tui script with the prison and the Vincent Ward script at the same time. They were they were co-developing those to the point that Tui found out from a writer friend of his, like a journalist. Hey, did you know that Hill and and Geiler are doing a script with Vincent Ward as well? 
And Tui was like, no. And he just walked. He was like, if you're not going to trust me to steer this and not and, and see this vision all the way through, then and you're just going to tell me to drop it. Why would I continue? So he just left. And so then they work with Ward and they start showing this stuff to this to the top, top studio brass at studio at Fox. And even the top brass is like, what the hell is this? Monks <laughs> on a wooden planet in space. Are you high? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Yes, probably. I mean, yeah, more than likely, probably a lot of cocaine being done in this sequence. But but they like even Fox Upper Brass was like, no, uh, uh-uh. no, thank you. That's dumb. That's terrible. Why would we ever do that? This is a, this is like a hard sci fi series. Right. And and I guess it snapped them out of whatever miasma they were in. And they were like, oh, yeah, I guess that is true. A wooden planet in space with monks. Would <laughs> oh, wait, that's oh, a we're going to have a <laughs> we're going to have a burning church where an alien stands on top of a cross. Yeah, maybe that is kind of the wrong image to go with in our alien sequel. I don't know. Um, they got there eventually. But <laughs> <laughs> but so they do this and then it's a wreck. Ward ends up walking because he realizes that he's not going to be able to kind of do what he wants. And so now this is the only this is the only screenplay in the Alien franchise where Hill and Geiler are credited as the writers. Yeah. And boy, can you tell. Mm-hmm. And apparently they were so frustrated they brought in another guy to write over the top of them because they didn't they were not you know struggling to being all these pieces together. And then everybody hated that guy. And he got kicked mostly because Sigourney Weaver was super pissed about how he was approaching Ripley. Um, the quote that's that's always circulated, the one that gets thrown around, is that she said in an interview that Ferguson made Ripley sound like a pissed off Jim T. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can totally see in the theatrical version, the scene where they, she sits down at the cafeteria to just confront Dylan and all the other men. She just looks like she's a school headmaster and she it's just so weird. But so like there's just all this infighting and they basically started filming this movie without a script. Sets were being built. Actors were being hired. Um, The guy that plays 85. Ralph. Ralph Ralph Brown, I guess. The guy that he was hired to play was not. He was like the smartest guy on the planet. And they changed and Ferguson and, and the screenwriters changed it in between when he was hired and when he began shooting. So he was hired to play one character and then he came in and they're like, oh, no, actually, you're a moron now. And that just like you're the I dumbest mean, guy. That level of rewrites does not usually happen with movies. That level of not of, movies like this. Yeah. Lock that stuff down. There's always changes and that's fine. Like big budget movies undergo significant changes. Like supposedly um, right now as, as we're talking about this, um, we're getting ready f- for another, you know, big Marvel movie, the Dr. Strange, the multiverse of madness. And supposedly that has gone extensive third act reshoots, like extensive millions of dollars in reshoots. And that's not necessarily a bad thing that happens, right? You get into the editing room and you say, Oh, this doesn't work at all. This these pieces that we shot, they don't they don't make sense. We got to make it. We got to get new stuff. But to have it be this chaotic at the beginning of the the setup, mm. that is rare. And and this is Fincher's first movie, right? His first time out the gate. And it is nothing but pure chaos. 
Um, I kind of wonder the... sometimes if his his famous personality that he brings to his productions now wasn't forged by this experience. Like, oh, I think so. Yes, you know he's known I don't think for David being Fincher... so rigid that this is probably where the rigidity comes from. <laughs> right, because this was chaos. Right, uh, one of the uh, documentaries, you know, which he was not involved in. There was bad. There was behind the scenes footage that they used that they had, but. He did no, he sat for no interviews. He did not come back and reflect upon his experience. <laughs> I have nothing to say. It. But it's, it's a surprisingly telling doc for, especially yeah. for a studio to put out about its own movie where they're, you know, some of the other producers are like, I mean, they basically said that Fincher's day was he would spend 12 hours on set shooting, getting as much footage as he could with the sets that were finished. Right. Cause they also had to basically shoot the film completely I mean, not that most movies are shot in sequence, but they had to shoot in parts of the movie because those sets were finished before they shot major scenes at the beginning just because the sets weren't done. And so, like, he would say he would shoot for 10 to 12 hours. Then he would spend, because they were in England shooting in Pinewood, then he would spend four or five hours after that on the phone with the studio executives at Fox demand, making demands, saying, we need this. This needs to be finished. This piece needs to be done. He said, basically, the guy didn't sleep for like six months because there was nobody going to bat for him. Like nobody was helping or, or trying to do that stuff. So he was handling all of those pieces too. And, and apparently it was just nightmarish. And yes, I think you are a hundred percent correct. I think the reason why David Fincher is this uncompromising and unflappable film director now is because this experience made him say, listen, I'll direct your movie, but I'm only going to do it if you leave me. We're going to do it my way. Right. And if you are not okay with that, then we're not going to do this. And, and I think that shows, um, and it, fortunately the, you know, the movie that he came back to make after this disaster was seven, which which was amazing. It was amazing. And basically established him as, you know, the director we know today Yeah, and probably allows for him to demand, Hey, you're going to leave me alone. Cause look what I can do when I'm left alone. But so, you know, Fincher, he gets this nightmarish script that's an, an amalgamation of all of these different scripts, right? Um, you know, Wayland Utani is a corporation trying to make bioweapons out of aliens. Introduced in aliens, we're going to explore that a bit more here. Um, it's a prison planet populated by a monk like group of men who have adopted some kind of religion to control their impulses. It's a single alien. They don't have weapons because of this monk like attitude and where they are. You know, like all of these these things get sort of smashed together. And here is David Fincher trying to just corral all of this into a single story. That's not even done when he starts shooting. Yeah. And that's that's Alien 3. That's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> and and you can tell, right? So the the film opens with, as I said, a credit sequence I don't love. The the font is bad. The the rapid intercutting between the you know characters or the the actor names and then like these quick flashes of stuff happening on the Sulaco but knowing what i know about the production history now i kind of wonder if this was the only way to get that information in the film absolutely yes cuz the assembly cut actually just opens with yeah the escape pod crashing which was great so the the original yeah changes the, original the context intent, the original intent was, you know, to sort of say, hey, this something bad has happened on the Sulaco. We don't know what. 
this one tells us. I mean, basically, if you're paying attention during the credits, if you're not going PP, if you're not getting <laughs> like, you know, exactly what the reveal of this film is in the first five minutes, which is also just and a bad is, thing to do with a movie, unless you're John Carpenter and you have people speaking Norwegian. That's the only time or you're, you're allowed Harlan, to spoil it. Or you're, you're Rennie Harlan and <laughs> you, you, just show those scenes in an inverted <laughs> so the audiences can't keep up with what's going on. Um, but yes, so like the the crux of this is that Ripley is the sole woman amongst a group of 25 and they, they repeatedly say that they're rapists and murderers, you know, just the worst people. And, and, and she has to navigate this while also, you know, sort of figuring out that an alien has somehow survived and is more than likely on the planet with them. And so I love Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver is straight up one of the most important actors of my of my childhood. She's beautiful um, and perfect and good and I love her. She's she's amazing. But some of her ideas about how Ripley should interact with the alien mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree. They're a little bit fruitcakey, but I like I I get it when you've been in a role yes. and like it embodies your career, and it is it you made it. Mm-hmm. I get how you could you could go in some weird places, but she's a, she goes a bit weird. Right. So this one, you know, obviously there are a lot of people who have looked heavily at the Alien series for its allegories about sexuality. For sure. Um, because, you know, the alien is an outside invasive force that enters via one of your orifices and, and invades you. Mm-hmm. Right? So we could make some, some interesting, you know, collections here with, you know, STDs and sexually transmitted diseases of which HIV and the AIDS you know, pandemic was happening at this time. You know, so we've, we've got a lot of like interesting cultural parallels here. Obviously, Dan O'Bannon has said extensively that his original inspiration for alien Digestive alien problems was, was, was digestive Crohn's problems. disease. Yeah, he was a lifelong sufferer from Crohn's disease, and he tried to sort of take the pain and misery of dealing with a bout of Crohn's disease and distill it into which it is, is. I mean, that is, is a special like. kind of yeah. misery, which it, it should be said. Yeah. But the the sexual component, I think, definitely comes from H.R. Geiger. You know, they brought him in to do For designs, sure. yeah. and you cannot get he, away from. Well, he can't. He makes everything a penis or a vagina. <laughs> All it's of it. It's just one of those things. <laughs> it's yeah. just what he does. <laughs> and and the alien head, if you look at it, it's it's a penis. I oh mean, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Um, and so, Sigourney Weaver at some point began to want to explore Ripley's, you know, relationship with the alien, and and sort of this idea of her being a mother, um, of of the alien needing you know, to, to, you know, incubate and be born. She wanted to have um, sex her ideas. <laughs> she did, um, which they didn't let her do in this movie, but they did an alien resurrection. Uh, a lot of, a lot of thin, transparent white sheets. Uh, and, 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 and an alien with the nose and just, Oh my Human God. Alien hybrid. So Yippee terrible. But so some of those ideas you can see, she's, she's already wanting to kind of explore here. Um, you know, although I think Fincher tamps a lot of that down um, for you know, yeah, it a lot of it is kept to suggestion and implication, arguably where it belongs. <laughs> yes, where it where it should probably stay. Uh, again, Alien as a series, 
doesn't need to be on the too on the nose with its symbolism. Yeah, you can just kind of let it run, uh, which again I think is is one of the problems with something like Alien Covenant. I think it, it's trying to be too on the nose with its symbolism, mm. and and it doesn't need to be. Um, I don't hate Alien Covenant. I think it's it's an okay Alien I film. Um, I know, I know <laughs> you do, uh, and that's okay. It it I completely understand why. I think it's mostly me. I'm just I've been in an abusive relationship with Alien since this movie, <laughs> and I I guess I've just capitulated at this point. I'm just like whatever, Fox, just do what you want to me. I'll take it. Oh yeah, um, I mean I saw it. it. I saw it in the theater opening night. Of course I did. I was right there, hating it every step of the way. And there's always something in those movies. And that's one thing to be said for the entire Alien series. Even a bad Alien movie has some cool stuff in it. Oh, yeah. Every time. You know, there's enough going on there that's kind of interesting. I mean, I would watch so, any of these movies right now. <laughs> Just right now. <laughs> so the crux of this film is, you know, Ripley very, gets very quickly amalgam. She's very quickly introduced to this world. Um, we do have a very young and a, a very good Charles Dance as her sort of primary Love him. interaction in this film. Um, I had no idea who Charles Dance was when I saw this. I didn't for years. Obviously, now he's experienced a sort of late life career renaissance with his involvement in Game of Thrones and many, many other things. But he's truly excellent in this film. He's such a reserved, kind of quiet character. And, and one thing that I think is undeniable about Fincher is that he constructs character building moments better than mm -hmm. pretty much anybody else. Um, and most of what was cut from this film, if you watch the assembly cut and, and having watched the theatrical last night, all of the character stuff is gone. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing that gets cut in this. And, you know, there's a ton of time with Dylan where we get to sort of understand the philosophical underpinnings of who he is and why he has constructed this, monk-like society inside this place to survive and charles and how he feels that he's doing a good work yeah, charles, charles dutton, dutton is, like is amazing unbelievable so good yeah like a reason to watch the movie genuinely yes absolutely uh i think you know again this the cast of this film is exceptional and weaver as well i mean i, I don't want to make it seem like she's sidelined in this um this was was this was the movie that that sort of created the shaving your head trend mm -hmm. in in films in the 90s i wanted to shave Demi, my head or do yeah Demi Moore did it in gi jane a couple years later um obviously sinead o'connor had very famously shaved her head around this time which i think this was kind of a reference to although there is a story reason there's there's uh again in the assembly cut they established that they charles dance mentions that there's lice on this prison planet mm -hmm. but the assembly cut establishes that these aren't just lice <laughs> these are like ants with like little wings that crawl all over you and eat everything. Yeah. Um, they are disgusting and, and you, you need to keep your head shaved or else they will, they will nest in you. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's some interesting stuff going on there too, but so she, she shaves her head, uh, which was seen as a very aggressive move at the time. Um, especially for someone like Sigourney Weaver who had, you know, I, I think alien certainly does a lot or aliens does certainly does a lot to sort of, turn her into an action star but this this film attempted to sort of lean hard into the more aggressive nature of that character but she's also the thing that i i have the biggest problem with in this is that the theatrical cut at least affords no time for ripley to grieve yeah. and it it just sort of 
that may be the other reason why audiences sort of rejected it is that it's not just that it kills off Hicks and Newt and, and Bishop, although he does appear briefly. It's that Weaver seemingly dispenses with her emotions about that. Like immediately. <laughs> immediately. Like there is, so I, I don't, I, this film does look good. And I do not want this next criticism to sound like I'm not saying it doesn't. The opening of this film, which I think was primarily reshot material, does not look good. <laughs> it's it's fine. The production design is fine. The lighting is flat. And I really don't think it feels like a Fincher movie until the autopsy scene. Um, it just it just doesn't have his visual panache in the same way. It's just it's flat, it seems fast, which is not something Fincher usually does. But so they land, um, Ripley's the only survivor. They take her into the med bay. She's there for a few days. We don't really know how long. She finally wakes up. They kind of get her up to speed on what's happening. And then they move her, you know, into the facility. Now, in the original assembly cut, they shave her body for her, um, if I remember correctly. And in this one, they, they just kind of cut to her being shaved, which makes me think that all of this stuff was reshoots and she's in a wig. Um, for the vast majority of it. It's not Sigourney Weaver's hair. And it's really obvious that it's not really her hair. Um, and so, but then we get to the, the autopsy scene because Newt, they're, they're looking at the, the EEV, the escape vehicle when they bring it in and she sees acid burns. So she suspects that there was an alien presence on board the ship. And so her first instinct is to check to see if Newt has been incubated. And so there's the, that scene, and I remember even watching it at the time, was crushing. Yeah. Right. Just an emotional roller coaster as as she's palpitating the girl at first to see if she can detect anything moving. And then she asks Charles Dance, who is calls himself the chief medical officer, but we find out later that he too was a prisoner uh, who murdered people. By accident. Because he did yeah, drugs, I mean, right? Right. He was he was a drug user, his own special cocktail, as he says to Ripley when she first wakes up. Um, and uh, he he ended up killing somebody by accident. So but he's been allowed to be the medical officer because there wasn't one to stay behind. And so she has him perform an autopsy and this the autopsy is classic Fincher. Rapid cuts, blood, close ups, shot from below, lit from below like it's. It's the first time in this version, in the theatrical version of the film, I'm like, this is a David Fincher movie. Um, and it's it's gut-wrenching because he like vivisects her, he does the Y incision, he splits her sternum open to see if the alien's inside. It's brutal and beautiful. But then after that scene, she's good. Yeah. No other mention. It's like I, I, maybe a, it, there it, one it, one conversation later about Hicks. It's maybe, like a that's it. It's like one of the Nine Inch Nails scene missing. Like, like, wait a minute. How did we go from that to that? Right. Like she just watched this little girl that she had, you know, fallen in love with. The little girl calls her mommy at the end of the movie. And then she's like, oh, just slice her open. Let's make sure there's no alien in there. Put her back in the morgue, Bob. We'll take care of this later. You know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a cut. It's an, it's an emotional beat by necessity rather than someone who would truly be struggling with that. Now, granted, Ripley is also very action-oriented. She's very pragmatic. So once she realizes that there's got to be an alien somewhere, 
it makes a certain amount of sense that she's all business. But again, it we don't see a lot audience, of her compartmentalized, so we don't. It feels like she just skipped over it. Just moves on precisely, and so you know we're we're kind of left emotionally despondent, much you know, as an audience, because we want to see, we want to cathartically see a character deal with the deaths of these very important characters yeah. or, or characters that we at least believed were important. But we're, we're quickly introduced to the alien. Alien three is the film that introduced the idea that what the alien incubates in changes its form, which I kind um, of love. It's a great idea. And it became essential to the storytelling of many, many alien comics and, and even the, the future films. Um, so we had only ever seen aliens before that had incubated in human hosts. Therefore, they adopted human-like traits. And this one, again, strong differences between the theatrical and the original assembly cut. The, the original assembly cut, it's established that they use oxen as as pull machines, right? And so uh, in the assembly cut, it is an ox. It is a, a cow-like creature that the alien births from. And so it's they call it the bull alien in, in that version. Um, in the theatrical cut, they they cut all of that out that the, that you know that they have access to livestock on this planet, and instead it is uh, a dog, which I hate. In one of the reshoots, which is dumb. Don't ever hurt a dog and, for your dumb movie ever. It sucks, and <laughs> it's it's not good. Um, but we get what what was referred to at the time, and I remember the people referring to it at the time as the dog alien. But it's a, a biped, it's a, a quadruped alien, right? It runs like a and Fincher had supposedly wanted that specifically. He wanted it to be more like a panther or some kind of animal than, than yeah. a human, right? Different kind up. of threat. So they, yeah. So they brought Giger back. Giger sort of did a four-limbed version, um, or a four-legged version of the alien, and they kind of built from that. Uh, it is worth noting that this was, this production also saw a lot of changes in who was doing that work. Uh, the original Alien was Stan Winston Studios, mm -hmm. which is evident. Um, this one. Guys who had worked for Stan Winston, uh, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis, had had splintered off and made their own special effects studio called Amalgamated Dynamics, who have done the alien creature pretty much ever since. Um, I don't know if they did it for, I don't think they did it for Prometheus, and I don't think they did it for Alien Covenant. I think they, they switched back to Stan Winston, but I would have to check that. But Amalgamated Dynamics did all of the alien films up until like the recent Ridley Scott movies jumped back in, for sure. And it's not and so great. it's it's not. Um, they did some puppetry. I mean, a four legged creature is a lot different than a two legged creature. Right. Mm -hmm. Alec Gillis is a really thin dude. He can just get in a suit and run around. That's that's easy. Um, but in this one, they had to do a lot of puppetry. They had to do a lot of animatronics. We do have a very early CG shot. And it's real bad. That is rough. Um, it's so it's. You know, Fincher's demands for how the alien would move changed the way that they had to approach it, the design of the alien and the performance of the alien. Because the alien has always been a performance, which is one of the things about it as a creature that makes it good. And that doesn't really communicate very well in Alien 3. The creature is certainly savage. It's brutal. Uh, but it doesn't have a personality like the drones no. did or the queen did in Aliens. You know, the queen was was her own thing um, mm -hmm. that felt like a character. And certainly the alien in the first movie was top billing character. I mean, like that, <laughs> it yeah. was the thing. Um, but this one, I mean, 
the things that linger in Alien 3 for me are not the alien. <laughs> no, no. The, the alien is almost a side note. Yeah. And in the theatrical, it's even more so. Yeah. Um, the alien is born. It begins. It doesn't even go after people. It's kind of discovered. And then it attacks when it's discovered. Because uh, like the first kill in the theatrical version is a guy who's cleaning out a giant, <laughs> a giant like air tunnel. It, you know, so I mean, in the end, there's a giant fan. You know what's coming. Mm. Um, and he sort of sees the a creature through a hole. He believes it's the guy who owns the dog. So he thinks it's his dog. It pops out at him, scares him. He falls into the fan. It gets, gets killed because that's the other thing is this movie continually delays the reveal of the alien. Right. It like tries to make that a point of tension where like Ripley's not sure. Oh, is it an alien or was it just an accident? Right. Like what what happened? And so that that kind of push pull, it takes a very special film to make that work for me, where I, as the audience member, you know, I get the dramatic irony of knowing, oh, it is an alien. But then the rest of the characters are like, could it be an alien? And it's just like, dude, come on. She just landed here. You guys have lived on this planet for seemingly years with nothing like this happening. This chick lands. There's weird stuff happening put two and two together at least yeah. take it as a as a possibility you know and of course ripley that's the other piece that as i was watching it last night is like why won't ripley tell these guys or at least charles dance who asks specifically like why did you make me chop open this little girl yeah like what is the deal why not at least just tell him like oh okay all right so i just came from this planet where they were like a million aliens who were trying to murder everyone. Maybe one of them got on my ship. I don't know. Maybe not. But I'm here now. Ship not here. People dead. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> like, Ripley has no reason. Because the only reason I can think is, like, is she trying to keep it a secret? I. She definitely isn't going to keep it a secret for Wayland. I always like, thought cares, that it was you know? because in the opening of Aliens, nobody believed her. And they called her right. crazy. And that. Sure. And she doesn't want to be labeled as crazy. And I could definitely see that, but it's just not justified. The you know, movie I almost want to see her any time connecting those things. So if you walk into right. this, not really thinking of that scene, that's in the very beginning of the previous film. <laughs> I mean, you need to connect those events somehow. And it, it just, it would have been more effective if they had. Yeah. So what we have here is an alien film in a very weird setting with a very weird set of characters and then a main character who is acting in ways that we've never really seen precedent for. Mm -hmm. And, and that's fine, right? I mean, there's nothing that says that we have to have this kind of total consistency from point A to point B characters change. They grow. Ripley's going to be a different person after these experiences than she was before. You know, I don't need her to be the Terminator where she's just a flat. This is who I am, right? Like that's fine. But there's a lot of stuff happening, especially in the theatrical cut, which moves very quickly. Like, holy crap. The opening of that film is just like, is the alien here yet? <laughs> is the alien here? Has the alien been born Has yet? anyone the seen alien the alien? Exist yet? <laughs> Can the alien kill someone, please? Right? Like, you could tell the studio was like, okay, guys. It has been 14 minutes and I have not yet seen an alien. Like there's like, just a little uh, counter in uh, the bottom left of the, the screen. Right. that's like minutes to alien. <laughs> yeah. It's distance to crate, but for alien, right? 
How long until we find our first breakable crate? That determines the quality of our video game. Um, it's 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 just a remarkable thing how swiftly it gets to those elements. It takes no time to build character or scenario. Um, it's all just told to us, right? Like yeah. I think it would have been much more compelling to sort of just see these guys going about their day, right? What did they do? Do they just clean? Well, and like, what are these guys doing in this place? It you introduces, know, and then to have it be invaded. It introduces all of these really compelling characters, because there are so many weirdos that they made and gave. I mean, I think they have backstories. Like, you know, Charles Dance is really great. Um, Paul McGann, who was Doctor Who mm -hmm. once. Uh, he was one of the Doctor Who's. He is a really interesting character, and he's basically not in the theatrical cut, if I no, recall. No, he is almost in, completely removed, because one of the things that this this story does play with that is kind of interesting, uh, McGann's character is uh, named Gallic, I think. Mm -hmm. And and so they introduce that these guys are all kind of like pseudo religious. I want to say weirdos, but well, they've they've not. I mean it's they've gone a bit weird on this planet, and they've developed sort of yeah. this monk like existence. And and so God, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, Gallic see is the first one in the in the assembly cut to see the alien, which he then refers to as the dragon. Um, and this is totally excised from the theatrical cut, completely excised. But he basically begins to see it as a, as part of their religion, right? As as a godlike figure, right? And and there's this subcurrent left over, I presume, from the the Vincent Ward script, which also had like a group of monks, who saw the alien as a kind of avenging angel, sort of like there to punish them for their misdeeds, and and so in in the the assembly cut, you can see pieces of that with Gallic, where he is basically like, because at the end of the assembly cut, the end of this movie is basically a big chase sequence where they're trying to trap the alien in these tunnels and then flood it with molten something, lead, whatever, and kill it that way because they don't have weapons, which again is a great restriction, right? I, I think alien is more exciting when you don't have guns. Cameron found a way to make it exciting with guns. But he just added more aliens. Ramping up volume. <laughs> just right? like more just aliens volume. so that your guns don't matter. <laughs> But if it's just one alien, if you have a gun, it's dead, right? Yeah. So you have to have some other complications. So these guys being supermax prisoners, they don't have guns, they don't have weapons. I find it difficult to believe there wouldn't be some somewhere, but whatever. Um, so they've got like a fire axe. That's <laughs> it. And, and so it's this big chase sequence, and it's a good chase sequence. There's a lot of like, you know, alien cam that's like flipping around and stuff. The experimental things that Fincher... And they set a bunch of traps... Like they set up a yeah, whole I mean, home alone maze for the alien to go through. <laughs> like, weirdly enough, I think it's it's one of the as far as the alien movies go. I think its third act is actually it's one of its strongest components. It seems Whereas like it was the, not as touched as the rest of the film. Like that's that right, was left was, intact. <laughs> yeah, it was more like you can't really take out as many pieces. But there is a at the end there is a complication mm -hmm. where. They have it trapped. They've succeeded. And then Gallic lets it out, basically. Yeah. Like he he does now once he gets removed in the theatrical cut, if I remember correctly, the alien just gets out. There's no explanation for it. Because Gallic's character, since it was so involved with like worshiping the alien, he just disappears. Yeah. So he's this weird kind of background character that we, we see him constantly. Like he's in the background of nearly every scene. 
with the prisoners up until a certain point in the film. And then he just disappears. He's gone. Um, and, and there's no explanation for it. So you just kind of assume that he was killed in the, one of the tunnel sequences. Cause there's a lot of quick cuts and, you know, people getting slashed and whatever. So you're like, Oh, he must've died in that, but we never actually see it. And the characters never referenced again. And, you know, again, just, just kind of a mess, you know, but it, but they obviously wanted to strip that element out yeah. of the film, but it was really cool. And I wish they hadn't. Yeah. And the assembly oh, no, cut restores what, you know, some of what could have been. Yes. Um, you can actually see the sequence of events. Uh, Cause there was, this was during the era when they did movie novelizations <laughs> and in the original script that Alan Dean Foster adapted, that whole sequence and setup is there. And it, it the novelization still has it um, because, you know, the, the script that he was given to novelize from or create the novelization from still had all that stuff in it. It was, it was literally taken out by the studio in the last minute um, because they wanted to get rid of it. Well, they wanted to make the movie shorter. Yes. What a weird Short time was, for was, movies. It was a thing. So weird. It's just like so different because <laughs> now it would be like, can we make the movie longer? Can we make this part in slow motion so that the movie's like 15 minutes longer? <laughs> right. Can we John Woo this? Make this <laughs> Do we 60 have any minute doves? movie, 90 minutes, just through slow motion? Um, so, I mean, that change is evident. And, and as a result, a lot of these characters just don't ever get developed, yeah. especially in the theatrical. And so really what you have is a movie where Sigourney Weaver is talking to Charles Dance a lot. Yeah. And then a movie where an alien is chasing a bunch of guys that we don't know. Yeah. That's really what Alien 3 boils down to. Um, how did you feel about Ripley and and Charles Dance's character having sex? Which is, is really the first time that we see Ripley engage in any kind of sexual activity until the alien in the next film. When I was, how did you feel about when it? When I was young, I didn't understand it because why, mm. I mean, Charles Dance as as fabulous and hot as he is, is not Michael Bean in the eighties and nineties who was so hot. So I was like, wow, no. talk about a downgrade. But, <laughs> but now it makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially like in the assembly cut, she's very raw and she's lonely and she's afraid. Yes. And of course they would sleep together. I mean, this is like the one not insane person, not asshole person that in she's met place. on this planet. And so it it actually it feels very right to me now watching the movie. But yeah, when I when I was a kid, I was like, man, I, I just don't get that. <laughs> maybe maybe she thought she wasn't going to survive or something. Right. And that is part I, of it. She didn't think she was going to make it, it out. Sure. Like she's not going to make this. And and the other the other big reveal of this film, I guess, is we're, we're kind of you know, coming to the, the close is that that it was not newt that was impregnated yeah. by this alien on the ship. It was Ripley herself, um, which, you know, she figures out pretty early on, mostly triggered by the fact that she's cornered by the alien and the alien chooses not to kill her. Uh, chooses to spare her, which she takes as an indicator that there's something about her that means she can't be killed. And so not only is it an alien, uh, it is a queen, which again, I'm not really sure about how that works, how it, you know, why is it a queen alien instead of a not queen alien? Was there a queen? It's like bees. Face hugger. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, what is, what's the mechanics of that? But whatever, it's, it's fine. You know, again, I'm not gonna, I, you can spend your entire life being angry about stuff like that in science fiction and fantasy films. 
Just yeah. need to move on. But it's it's a queen, so she knows that if if Wayland Yutani does show up and take her, that they will use the queen to create, you know, more bioweapons, etc. So the ending of the film, as we said, is a big chase sequence. It's effective. I, I and I think it's a very strong series of action beats in a film that is sorely lacking in action beats. Um, you know, it just it it's not structured that way. And Fincher, it, all of his movies do that. He does not conform to standard blockbuster filmmaking techniques, and most of the time it works out well. This one, I think, we could have used some action beats earlier, but since he's trying to build that suspense, you know, we just don't get it. But the ending ending of the film after the alien has been dispensed with, uh, because eventually they do indeed, you know, coat it in some sort of molten lava. It explodes. It's fine. Again, it's early CG. It's not very good, but, you know, it dies. And and a few of the, the you know, prisoners are left. Not many. And then Wayland yutani does indeed show up. And uh, who is it but Lance Henriksen? Uh, who was to... who was already in the movie as as Bishop because she does mm-hmm. bring Bishop back for for a hot minute um, right. to talk yeah. to him and it's very sad because he's messed up. But then it is. it's a cool scene. This is this is Bishop the human Bishop, the creator of right. Bishop, which doesn't make any sense. Right, um, which the the film is played with that idea. Obviously, Alien versus Predator that we've discussed plays with the idea that Charles Wayland was the the sort of biological basis for the bishop um android yeah. uh, then of course the the new ridley scott films say that you know wayland was the, the basis for david who was the original so this idea that you know the the androids are modeled after their creators is kind of in the alien it kind of started here i guess that's fine i i think it did because i if i'm and if i remember right he gets hurt like he gets punched or slashed with something and then you can see underneath that he is, I think you can see that he is an android, that it's not actually a human. Um, I would have to go back and watch that again. I don't, I didn't pay attention to that last night, but, but yes, like the idea that, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm a human. I'm here. I want to help. It, it's all supposed to be eerily reminiscent of the Burke character from the original, but they're obviously their intentions are bad. Yeah. Um, but the film ends. And this again is probably one of the main reasons why people were not happy about it. Uh, it ends with Ripley's death, which Ripley, who knows she's infected, casts herself into the molten. I loved it, loved it, because yeah. it was. I mean, the whole movie was just a big depressing vibe. So how else could it end? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, she has nothing right. after this. <laughs> you no. know, her little family no. that she made after her real family died is also dead. She's got nothing. So, I don't know. Maybe I was just particularly nihilistic as a kid, but I loved it. Like, yeah, throw yourself off the, the ledge. Burn yourself right. I mean, alive. what's the alternative otherwise? Yeah. The only other alternative is that the alien persists. And, and part of Ripley's core character arc through these films has been the extermination of the alien. Right? Yeah. Like she, is, she wants to see them wiped out. And so here she has the power to do that, supposedly. And so these were very extensive reshoots. Um, she always, I believe, cast herself into the fire, mm-hmm. but the studio wanted to see the chestburster, which before she did that, you know. So they, they I feel like that's it, just splitting hairs. I don't understand that. It is. It doesn't matter it, at all. the The assembly cut has the original 
like just spread armed Christ gesture falling from the fire thing, right? But theatrical. She she like a chestburster comes out and she like reaches out and holds it like the chestburster is going to be able to jump out. Of the well, you know, given what know. we've seen, maybe it could. <laughs> maybe who knows? The alien, the the queens are more agile or something, more legs or some shit. Um, but it it's it's just such a it, an unnecessary choice. And supposedly at this point, Fincher had sort of left the project. Like he steered it to the end. But then once the studio was getting this involved with the final cut, he just ditched. He's like, you do what you want. I'm gone. Because um, his director credit was secured. There was there would be no way that they could. Well, you almost gave, took a, away his name off of the film. Like, well, you know, I yeah. didn't really make the film anyway. <laughs> I mean, Fincher's skill is evident despite the meddling. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very interesting looking film. It does establish it helped to establish that kind of like brown super dark aesthetic of the Mm -hmm. nineties that we see sort of find its terminal point in blade two. I think that's where that, I think that's where that aesthetic died, Um, which, you know, is not a bad thing, but it del Toro sort of perfected the brown. Does blade two come up in every episode we record? Maybe. I feel like it does. It's it's such a crucial moment in, in Hollywood filmmaking. I think, um, but uh, the, you know, Fincher's skill is 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 very much on display here. Uh, he is a very capable film director. You know, like the Coen brothers before him, he is one of the best shot reverse shot guys in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can set up a dialogue scene that's exciting and tense. Um, the low angles, just everywhere, just everything is is worm's eye view with David Fincher, and it's so good. Um, I, I guess it's also worth noting that. Fincher requested specifically to work with Jordan Cronenweth as his DP on this film. Who was Jordan Cronenweth. amazing. If you know cinematography, you know Jordan Cronenweth because Jordan Cronenweth shot Blade Runner, which anybody who's anybody loves the way. I mean, if, even if you don't like Blade Runner as a film, you love the way Blade Runner looks. Yeah. And Jordan Cronenweth has a lot to do with that. Um, and then unfortunately... He was in the early stages of Parkinson's disease so and it was recognized a line producer who had a father who had Parkinson's disease recognized the symptoms and then ejected him from the film, not because it was bad, but because it was, it was for his benefit. He said the stress of making a film would, it would have made it worse. Yeah. Yes. And, and he said, you need to, you need to leave. And so he was replaced very early on in the project, but there are there are, you know behind the scenes footage of Fincher working with Cronenweth and you can see him just and and the scenes that he that worked on are evident like you can tell what was his work in the movie versus what the other guy did and nothing uh, against the other guy no he did no, a I fine mean, I, job I but just you know we're talking like master level <laughs> lighting especially <laughs> like just every scene is so beautiful yes. and then and other scenes just they're okay Right. And, and that's the issue is that it's just it's uneven. This is a film that was unfortunately compromised at all at all stages of the game. Right. It's just, it, you know, all movies struggle to be made. Right. I've, you've, you've heard it said we've said before, you know, the, the fact that a movie ever exists is just a, a sort of miniature miracle. But this one had so many things stacked against it that it is shocking that even some kind of palatable version of it exists. 
And it's a testament to Fincher's skill as a director that he was able to fight a studio that was actively trying to undermine him at every stage to even have a film that is as watchable as it is. Yeah. And I think it is safe saying that this is the last truly good alien film. Yeah. It's not great, but it is at least good. And, and I still, alien movies like, since then have struggled. If I were if that. I were to ever meet someone, God forbid, who had never seen an alien movie, um, I hope I never meet anyone like that. But if I had, I meet people who, who aren't familiar with the franchise, I would absolutely tell them, watch Alien 1 through 3. Watch watch all three of those movies. Oh, yeah. And then I would yes. say, and then don't watch anything else. Just stay yeah. with these. You're good. Or if you watch Prometheus and Alien Covenant, just try not to think of them as alien films. Drink They're a just lot their own thing. while you watch them. <laughs> Enjoy watching Michael Fassbender have eye sex with himself. Yeah. Just enjoy that. Like watch that scene and be like, that's pretty hot. Yeah. And be good, you know, and, and be fine with it. And that's okay. Um, but you know, I, I too, I, I don't think I'm as high on this as you are. I, I don't love alien three from top to bottom. I think it's, it's a slow moving film. I think a lot of the atmosphere that it builds, it doesn't really ever dispel that tension super well. I think it does have a, a solid set of action sequences at the end. It's fun to see humans try to use their intuition and limited resources to deal with a creature like the alien. That will always be an exciting setup. And this movie executes that well. I think the ending is kind of fine. Ripley's sacrifice is good, but I think that the the sort of s- scenarios around it are, you know, yeah, could have been the, tighter. The and bishop more thing was stupid. I, it's unnecessary, but you can tell that they're trying to world build towards something right. else. Right. This was the, really the beginning of the, we must talk about who Wayland Utani is. And even, I don't right. care. I don't actually care and about was, Wayland. And that was all Guyler and Hill. Yeah. They were so, they had such a hard on. You know, it was just a faceless the Wayland-Utani corporate espionage corporation. Stuff. You know, it, was, they, it wasn't even named in Alien. Just space truckers and their mm-hmm. faceless. They had logos and shit. Trucking organization, but it wasn't a thing. In aliens, it was, you know, this is on people's name tag. They have goofy slogans everywhere. It was the the thing that made the location possible. And in this movie, they wanted to make it a sticking point for whatever reason. So I don't like that stuff. I I actually I found that really cheesy. Even back in the day, I was like, well, this just doesn't feel very genuine. And I didn't like that they were they were trying to use Bishop for that. I don't know. I just thought that was really dumb. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like they wanted desperately to connect back to aliens for some things. But then we're, we're also just clawing at the walls to try and get away from what James Cameron <laughs> we, established you, at the same time. You kill Newt. And and Hicks at the beginning, but you want to bring Bishop into it and Wayland Yutani, right. and it's like, who cares? Yeah. You killed the right. people like, I liked. You killed the people I liked. Yeah, you killed the found family, and and summarily and without any kind of contemplation. Yeah. So I mean, that's and and that's part of it. I, I think there was also a quote. I, I went back and, um, you know, Roger Ebert became a fan of David Fincher. He was not a. He didn't even really like Seven that much, if I remember correctly, but. Um, but in a later review, Ebert eventually said that he thought that Alien 3 was one of the best looking bad movies he'd ever seen. That is true. And, and, 
and I am I am definitely in that camp. Like this movie is a is a, a pretty decent visual treat. Special effects are rough, but it, that's just early '90s special effects. Um, visual effect. I mean, any of the CG effects are just bad. But even the visual effects, there's some really bad compositing work in the theatrical version, mm-hmm. as you can tell, was done super late in the game. Um, the opening where they're kind of moving the EV into the facility, there's a <laughs> yeah. shot of a guy standing on top of it, and it, it is really such bad. bad compositing work. Oh, my goodness, dude. And on Blu-ray, which that's how I watched it last night, um, it's just it's atrocious. Yeah. Um, just black compositing lines everywhere. I've watched the Blu-ray of this probably the most. I don't know, when I bought that, that big set of course i had to watch it a lot sure and uh it's it is it's a rough time for movies like this was just not a good time to make a movie that had a lot of effects in it period (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure yeah it just i don't know it's it's a problematic movie i i think Again, though, if if you are are wanting, if you've never seen the Alien series, or if you've only sort of dabbled in and out of them, you know, based around maybe the new stuff from Ridley Scott, and you've never really gone back, I, I would say that the the first three, the original three, are well worth your time. Three, you know, if you like if you like how Aliens ends, you've got a good feeling about that. Totally fine to stop there. Yeah, just totally fine to be like, that's it. Ripley and her little found family go back to Earth and somehow and, evade the corporation. And frankly, and find, in my heart and soul, that is where the movie ends. That's that's where the whole thing ends because that's the ending that I wanted for those characters. Yes. But unfortunately, this movie does exist. <laughs> like Alien Three was made, and I, I don't know. I love David Fincher so much. I mean, we've established I love him. I think he's so great. Um, yes. But I guess if I had to look at the darker, worse alien movies, I still think that this one's worth fighting for. Yes, and I guess that's why we're we're here talking about this. Is that in a in a film franchise where many of its fans would sort of very quickly dispense with this one, I'm going to go the other direction and yeah. say that the opposite is true. I I think Alien Three is well worth visiting. It's it's one of the more contemplative alien um, films. I, I think it's really trying to explore its characters, the effects of things like this on, on a person. I mean, Ripley for all intents and purposes is suffering from intense PTSD. And, and I think Sigourney Weaver does a great job at exploring that in the limited capacity that she's given. Um, I think there are some really good action beats in it. I think that the introduction of the, increasing complexity of how we understand the alien and what it does is interesting. Um, but this is really the last one that I would say is, is essential watching resurrection is entirely dispensable. If you're just, if you just want to punish yourself, I, then by all means, I hate alien resurrection. And maybe that's why I love alien three so much. <laughs> sure. By comparison, because I, I also a masterpiece. I also saw Alien Resurrection in the theater. It was not only was it one of the worst theater going experiences of my entire life because it was just a miserable setting to see the movie. It was on Thanksgiving Day, and mm. the theater it was. was packed. It was, and it was smelly and it was hot, and I just I hated everything that was happening. I just oh, it was awful. And then the film and itself the movie was smelly sucked. and hot. It just and it's <laughs> gross. Like Alien Resurrection is nasty. 
He is. There are moments in that movie that if I think about them, I want to gag. And that is just not what you want to leave your moviegoers with. And it made me go Um, back and have warm, even warmer feelings for this movie. Right. Because at least this one feels of a piece with the ones that came. Yeah. Um, And I guess that's the other part of it is that nobody really seems to be able to crack the actual universe that alien exists in, what it looks like. Right. The closest we ever got to Earth was Gateway Station in Aliens. And it's just kind of a clean, sterile space station thing. And then, you know, weird suits with the (laughs) collars turned up, you know, that kind of stuff. But nobody seems to want to try and explore alien, the you know, like the world of that. Like, what is the world in the, you know, 2200s look like kind of thing. Um, And then, you know, now that Ridley Ridley Scott's come back to it in in his movies, they don't really touch on it very much either. And I wouldn't want to see what that, that universe looks like. Um, you know, and then like the joke of alien resurrection is like Ripley coming back to earth for the first time. And then it just ends. It's like, well, what is earth? No, he knows. Uh, and then the character's like, that's yeah, a shithole. And it was kind of oh, the, the, good. the ultimate evolution of the Wayland Utani garbage where it just, it reached mm-hmm. that crescendo where they say they got bought out by Walmart. I think that was the moment yeah. in the theater where I was like, I hate this movie. I just hate it. I hate it so much. I hate everything about this. I want to go home. <laughs> yeah, it, it was bad. Um, uh, worth noting that uh, noted asshole and terrible person, Joss Whedon, wrote <laughs> Alien Resurrection. Uh, he claims that none of it was his fault. He said it was like he would claim that, wouldn't he? <laughs> he? He said the director was like a musician. What was it? Seeing all the notes, but playing them in the wrong order. Except we like know that, that Jean Pierre Jeunet is a great filmmaker. Yes, I don't know no, why he was hired made Amelie to in make City of Lost Children, an alien movie. That and that's the thing. Like David David Hill and Walter or David Geiler and Walter Hill, they've they had they were the ones. I mean, like. If you if you want to be mad about Star Wars giving a, a, a different director to you know all the different movies, it's David Geiler and Walter Hill that established that shit. Yeah. With this, like they refused to have like a unified vision. It was like, oh, we're gonna take this visionary director, we're gonna drop him into this world. We're gonna take this visionary director and break him. <laughs> and then we're gonna make him do all these dumb things. We're gonna make these poor actors work inside of a fetid water tank inside of a movie studio back lot for six weeks to film a scene that no that lasts two seconds and no one cares about, just so we can show an alien swimming. And it sucked. We've never seen that. And it's it dumb. was just a shitty scene. And the guy from CSI dies. <laughs> everybody um, dies. Maybe, whether you like them or hate dies. them, they all die. Nothing means anything. It looks terrible. Everything is green. Ugh. Uh, yep, green and brown. Yeah. Said they, they kept that going. Um, Brad Dorif. I mean, he's in there. I did, he's okay. Yeah. Because he wants to have the sexy times with an alien. You know, and so. he's just acting, you know, weird and gross. Because everyone in the movie is weird and gross. Ah, <laughs> I hate it. Oh, we've segued, but yeah. um, maybe we'll come back to Alien Resurrection. We'll yeah. give us a little bit of time because I know that that's a rough <laughs> for you. I can make it through, but it's it's hard. Um, but it really but in, in any case, that movie made me even softer on Alien Three than I already was. It was right. that I, I realized that all is truly lost. So David Fincher didn't really do a bad thing you here. You did it, David Fincher. You didn't destroy <laughs> an entire franchise single handedly. Well done. Um, yeah, it's. 
it's a film that uh, I've I've definitely come to appreciate more as uh, and as I understand David Fincher, as I continue to sort of follow David Fincher as a filmmaker. Again, you can see more of of his forging as a filmmaker in the experience of Alien Three, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you don't always get to see that, and and in this case, it's it's pretty evident that you can see the the director that Fincher was already angling towards and and would eventually become. Um, but so let's let's wrap up our thoughts on Alien Three. I think we've we've covered the highlights again, not necessarily a beat by beat breakdown, but again, it's Alien Three. Most people would have seen it at this point. Um, so it's more about sort of our feelings. So uh, I think you've expressed it, but let's let's just sort of wrap up. What's what's your final sort of missive on Alien Three? What would you like to leave the audience with concerning this very important film? It is it is dark and sad, and it's not the hopeful ending that I think anybody wanted. But I like that it's a quieter film. I like that it's a darker film. I kind of like that it's devoid of action in a lot of places because it reminds me of mm-hmm. Alien. Um, yes, it's very much more of a piece with that film. For sure. And also, it's our first taste of David Fincher, and there's something about his movies, even the movies he made that he personally hates, that's just kind of special. And... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I look back on the experience watching it for the first time. There was something about the movie that I loved and it's really only gotten deeper. Like my, my love of the movie has only increased and the assembly cut helps. I definitely don't think the theatrical cut is worth watching yeah, over I the think, assembly. Cut. I think we can, I, I can confirm that based on yeah. watching it last night, the theatrical cut, given that the assembly cut exists, Definitely watch the assembly cut. Yeah, because if the theatrical version is good, the assembly cut is is a couple steps above it. Only because it gives more time to character. Exactly, we see more of Ripley's interactions with these people. The nature of of how the alien moves around the facility and and things, all of that stuff, just makes more sense. Honestly, the analog is the like the Snyder cut of the Justice League. It's it's not necessarily a better movie, but it is more coherent. And, and it's more of a sort of unified vision, right? Like the Snyder Cut of Justice League doesn't make Justice League a good movie. It's still not good. Right? It's still not great. But it, it is at least a single thing rather than this sort of chopped up mess yeah. that, that often gets produced by studios when they're attempting to sort of, you know, direct the ship. And, um, and, and you know, so I'm not going to say that the work print or the assembly cut of Alien 3 is, is a game changer in terms of how the film should be perceived, but it is certainly a more you know, viable watching experience. So, so don't just go find this on a streaming service and watch the theatrical, because I don't know if you'll enjoy that that much. It's fine, but it's not amazing. Um, but the, the work print version of it, the assembly version of it, uh, should be available on pretty much any of the Blu-ray copies that you can find these days. And I would suggest sort of delving into that one, especially if you're if you're doing sort of sort of a rewatch and you're coming directly from Aliens. I think it just works much better and it feels much more coherent yeah. and sort of interesting than the, the theatrical version. And it adds like what um, thirty seven minutes. Like, it's a lot. It's a lo- yes, it's it, a it's a different movie with all of that a, stuff. It's added. basically a different film. Yes, it's like two hours and thirty minutes, as opposed to this one's relatively sparse, like hundred and five hundred. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, an entirely different experience, um, in terms of, of what you're getting. 
and they they were you know and fox I, I don't know if they felt bad or what but they actually did go back and like finish the special effects for the for the blu-ray edition um if i remember right the dvd edition didn't add like unfinished special effects throughout but for the blu-ray edition um they actually did go back and do some finishing work because it just looked too bad otherwise like nobody would watch it um but yeah so i, I i'm kind of in the same boat uh i'll always love alien 3 for the conditions under which i saw it our first double feature mm-hmm. um and and sort of the enjoyment of of that day but even in retrospect and even given just so so how relentlessly the studio has just sort of butchered what should be one of the greatest film franchises in the history, right? Like, and, and in many ways, even if with only a couple of entries under its belt, it still would be. But it's just, it's remarkable to see what this film franchise was capable of at the time and how it's just sort of soundly it was dispensed with by people who just really didn't understand what to do with it. And, and weren't willing to consult with other parties that had good ideas. Like, and that's, so, I mean, I, and again, if you watch any of the background stuff with David Geiler and Walter Hill, like you will see <laughs> these people, are they're not great dudes. Yeah. And um, the fact that they got into this series early and, and, and sort of unfortunately, it just sort of messed with it so soundly is, is real sad. And I say this as a guy that as a director, I like a lot of Walter Hill's stuff. Um, like, I think he's a good director, like um, the driver with uh, Ryan O'Neill. It's great. Uh, obviously he means to do directed the warriors, which is also great. Um, 48 hours. I mean, this is not a director that I would look at and say like, Hey, this, this guy's really bad. He's terrible. He's, he's not, he's a great film director, but in terms of of managing this franchise, maybe it's David Geiler. I don't know. David Geiler is the one in all the interviews, and he is just a colossal ass. Yeah. Um. So maybe it's him. Maybe Hill was just <laughs> in the background being like, "I just want the money, please. Can I just have some cash? I need a need a bit of a cash infusion." <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it is the guy who made Supernova, so <laughs> there is mm. that. Oh God! Um, yeah, uh, that James Spader, Angela Bassett movie. In space. <laughs> Not good. Uh, anyway, so uh, yes, Alien Three is a complicated beast, um, full of complicated beasts, directed by a complicated beast, <laughs> but still probably the last great gasp of what alien as a series could have been and maybe we'll get a new one maybe now that disney uh, maybe now that ripley is a disney princess we'll get a new one that is pretty good but uh i have my doubts about that one unfortunately Uh, but we'll see but until then we will have alien aliens and alien cubed to enjoy (laughs) <laughs> Even though there's only one alien. Uh, <laughs> is it wrong for that to bother me? Because God, it bothers me. It just really does. It was one um, of the early instances of text <laughs> styling for movies being really annoying. Just, just, yeah. I mean, I get it. James Cameron hates numbers. Like he really does. Like I know we have Terminator 2. He only did that because you know, he was forced to. Uh, I get it. You know, he, he hates the numbers, uh, even though I guess we're getting Avatar 27 at some point. But 
Um, I don't know. Uh, it just it's it's a movie that I'll always have a complicated relationship with, but it's well worth watching if you've never seen it. Um, you know, obviously they're the original two are classics, pinnacle, pinnacles of their genre. But even as kind of the weird, unfortunate stepchild of the Alien series, Alien Three is able to define itself enough that I think it's well worth a watch if you've never seen it or if you've actively avoided it because people said it was bad. Um, I don't know if that's that's really true. I think that the opposite is the case. It's not a bad film. It's not good, but it is certainly something that is a nice sort of final bow on that original Alien series. Yeah. If you would like to, to sort of wrap it up. But again, if you're fine at the end of Aliens and, and with what happened there, totally. Yeah, if you have not ruined yourself by some miraculous measure, you don't have to ruin yourself. You can just leave it there. You don't. Really don't. And that is but cool. we already ruined ourselves in the 90s. So so many times. So we just have to let it go and embrace Alien Cubed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will embrace Alien Cubed as the last good alien and be done with it there. All right. Well, if somebody wants to find you on uh, the Internet, on uh, the social medias, if you will, to discuss Alien, Alien 3 or David Fincher or Sigourney Weaver's bald cap, um, what uh, or where, I should say, can they find you? Get me at Baskinator on Twitter. I would love to talk about alien movies with you. Mostly the ones I hate, Same. but uh, also the ones I They're love. They're easier to talk about. Yeah. yeah. And I just have so oh, much they hate. They all work. Yeah. <laughs> so much hate to give. <laughs> um, so much rage. Ridley Scott inspired <laughs> rage. Damn it, old man. Let the series go. Let other people make it, please. Um but the uh, same for me, if you want to talk uh, about uh, all of my wrong opinions about Alien 3 and how it actually is absolute uh, garbage, you can certainly find me on uh, Twitter at tbaskin. You can get us together at theater, And you can also email us at failurepeace at gmail.com. All right, so we will be back next week with another discussion of film's notable failures. Um, Alien 3, I guess, was notable in that it, it did not make a lot of money. Yeah. It was the first film, and uh, this is an interesting side note, it was the first film that a studio used the international box office to try and justify its success. <laughs> before before Alien 3, no one cared about international box office for films ever, anywhere. But it performed miserably here in the States and made bank overseas. And so the studio was like, success. And and that was the first time that, that foreign box office receipts mattered to a, a Hollywood studio, which I think is interesting was us trying to justify our bad alien sequel <laughs> as being successful. But in any case, if you want to, if you want to talk about movie box office receipts, uh, go to box office mojo. But if you want to talk to me about it, you can find us on uh, social media. Uh, but we'll be back next week with another discussion of films, inimitable failures and all of the bad movies that we can enjoy. Bye bye. Bye.